1: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, Assistant Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at UMMC. Today we have Dr. Jared Knudsen in with us. He is a pediatric cardiologist as well as a pediatric intensive care physician at the Children's Hospital here in Jackson. We're going to be discussing common causes of chest pain, heart murmurs, different things we see in pediatric cardiology. And he's going to tell us a little bit about their congenital heart disease program that they have over at the Children's Hospital and all the awesome work that they're doing over there. We would love to hear from you, so give us a call and share your comments and questions with us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 You can also send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. So welcome, Dr. Knudsen. Thanks for coming on with us.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
1: So tell us a little bit about what you do over at the Children's Hospital as a pediatric cardiologist and intensive care physician.
0: Uh, Yeah, I'm a pediatrician and a pediatric cardiologist by my medical training. But um, as my role evolved at UMC, I became chief of critical care medicine. So I I oversee all the critical care services for children. That's uh, children that have heart disease, children with trauma, children with cancer, um, all sorts of ailments. My primary role is to take care of children with heart disease, though.
1: Right. And so you all take care of kids uh, as they're diagnosed with heart problems, but also after surgery to fix their heart lesions as well?
0: We do. A large percentage of the children that we care for are newborns with heart disease. Uh, We manage their critical care, including breathing machines and other support machines that they may be on before their corrective heart surgery, and then we manage them after as well. We have another population of patients that we care for, and those are our heart failure patients, children that have diseases of their heart muscle where the muscle doesn't squeeze properly or doesn't relax properly. Uh, that's, that keeps us busy as well.
1: Right. And I was reading um, some statistics before I came in here of congenital heart lesions and how, just how common they are. People don't realize, I think, until they, your family's affected.
0: They, they really are. The most common birth defect is a heart defect. And roughly one in 100 babies will have some kind of heart defect. And 25% of those will, roughly 25% of those are what we call critical. And by critical, we mean that these babies need some kind of heart procedure to get out of the hospital. Either they don't have enough blood flow to their lungs, they don't have enough blood flow to their body. Um, There's usually blockage somewhere that has to be relieved either with a uh, procedure in the cath lab or with a surgical procedure.
1: Yeah, and nowadays we have so many advancements in medicine that a lot of these children are living into adulthood. I think I saw like eighty-five percent.
0: Yeah, eighty-five percent overall, and and the numbers are much greater for some of the defects, uh, some of the terrible defects that we still struggle uh, with helping skew that number in a negative way. Mm-hmm. Uh, For a lot of the complex defects, the survival can be as high as 99%. But overall, about 85% 85 of children grow to adulthood. And in fact, there are more adults in this country now with uh, heart disease, congenital heart disease, meaning heart disease they were born with, than there are children. Wow. So that's how good we've done over the last two or three decades. And you're right. There have been advances in surgical techniques and equipment, and there have also been huge advances in critical care. The way that we think about the patients, the way that we care for the heart, around the time of surgery before and after, um, our equipment and machines have become, uh, much better as, as things have been specialized to take care of smaller and smaller children.
1: Yeah. I saw that the AAP says now it's a chronic condition and not a terminal one, which is, is always nice when you can kind of change that terminology. Uh,
0: that's absolutely true. And I can count on one hand, the number of heart defects that, uh, that usually need a transplant before the age of 20. The majority of them, people grow to adulthood into the third, fourth decade and longer. Grow up, go to college, have families. It's really amazing.
1: Which is awesome. So we're talking today with Dr. Jared Knudsen. He is a pediatric cardiologist over at the Children's Hospital. So we're gonna talk a little bit about different Uh, complaints that I see in clinic from patients and parents that are concerned about heart problems. So we're going to kind of get into that today. The first thing we're going to talk about is heart murmurs, because I feel like when parents hear the term murmur, that it's a scary, it's a scary term, but it's really not always doesn't mean anything bad. We have a lot of innocent murmurs that we hear in children. So tell us a little bit about like what a heart murmur is.
0: Well, we've all known people, had family friends who talk about having a heart murmur in childhood or I had a heart murmur, this person had a heart murmur. It's a very, very common uh, phenomenon. What, what needs to be debunked is a heart murmur is not a disease. Right. A heart murmur can be a sign of a disease, but more often in children, much more often in fact, It's just a sign of a growing heart. Mm -hmm. Um, And what a heart murmur is, it's the sound of blood entering or leaving the heart, more often leaving. Um, And as the heart grows, uh, we we just hear different noises between the beats, so to speak. When you listen to someone's heart, you hear the lub-dub, lub-dub. Those are the beats of the heart, and those noises are actually caused by the closing of the valves in the heart. If we hear sounds between, those sounds are associated with, again, blood entering or leaving the heart. Newborn babies, uh, when they're born, things change very, very rapidly. They don't need to send blood to their lungs when they're in the womb because they get their oxygen from the mother's placenta. But as soon as they're born, they need to send blood. Their heart needs to pump blood to their own lungs so that they can uh, get their own oxygen from the atmosphere. And so as the flow increases to the lungs, we hear what we call turbulence, or we hear the noise of blood flowing in the arteries to the lungs. That's probably one of the most common innocent murmurs, as you called them, that we hear in babies, and those typically go away by four to six months of age. And then another age group is your school-age children. Kindergarten age up through starting middle, middle school, they'll have what we call vibratory murmurs. And that's just the heart muscle growing faster than some of the connective tissue inside, and we just hear things vibrate, and they typically go away. Um, another murmur that we hear is we'll hear the blood coming back to the heart from the head. We'll hear that in the neck and the upper chest, and it's a humming noise. But these are all, like you said, they're innocent murmurs, and they're very, very normal mm-hmm. in growing children. And it, it it is unfortunate that many parents become quite alarmed when their physician tells them that they have a heart murmur. But uh, most people can rest assured that it's a benign thing and it's transient. It goes away.
1: Right. Because there are definitely some characteristics to it that we're trained to listen for to help us know that it is an innocent murmur.
0: There are, and a lot of heart murmurs in children require no further testing. They just require regular checkups with your general pediatrician. Uh, but there are, as you say, characteristics of murmurs that let us know, hey, this, this could be something wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, we shouldn't hear a murmur when the heart's relaxing. Um, in children, we hear murmurs when the heart's squeezing and pumping blood out to the body and the lungs. Uh, those are concerning and require more of a workup. Uh, if they're really loud or harsh or associated with some other findings or symptoms, then physicians should get an echocardiogram. But an echocardiogram is an ultrasound examination of the heart where we take pictures that we can see inside the heart. We can see what the valves look like. We can see blood entering the heart, leaving the heart, and we can diagnose the majority of heart conditions with that test but it's not necessary for most children with murmurs.
1: Right, right. And your pediatrician can order the echocardiogram. And I think y'all read... From all over the state, don't you have do. the echo reports? We, yeah,
0: we pick up most of the metro area, and we have multiple satellite locations throughout the state that we read echoes for. If that's correct.
1: Right. So a lot of times if there is something concerning that your pediatrician hears when they listen and it doesn't sound like the typical innocent murmur, they will order an echocardiogram, which is essentially just an ultrasound mm-hmm. of your heart. Um, it's very non-invasive. They just put the, the little jelly, that's what I call it, um, in, in the chest and put the ultrasound probe in and just take a look. So it's no radiation exposure.
0: No.
1: Um, it's very non-invasive. It's an easy test to perform to your child. Um, but like Dr. Konditson said, we don't always have to have that test done because a lot of times we can just tell if it's an innocent murmur or something that we're concerned about. Right.
0: And the best way to describe that test, um, if you're, if you're seeing children, uh, their moms had ultrasounds during pregnancy. It's very similar to the mm-hmm. ultrasound that a pregnant mother has. Right. You know, warm jelly on the tummy and you know, no radiation, like you said, no harmful effects of the test whatsoever.
1: Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to get the babies to sit still. Yeah. World. <laughs>
0: yeah that, that once they start sitting on their own and wiggling around from there up until about three, it can be challenging.
1: Yeah. Just, But it doesn't hurt. It's just... No No kid wants to sit still.
0: We try to distract them with Disney movies and do what we can to keep them still for a few minutes.
1: Right, right. Well, we're talking today with Dr. Jared Knudsen. He is a pediatric cardiologist at the Children's Hospital. Uh, we would love to hear from you. If you have any questions about any issues in pediatric cardiology or maybe what's going on at the Children's Hospital, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You can also send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. And we'll be back after the break.
0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
1: This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens on MPB Think Radio. Today we're talking with Dr. Jared Knudsen. He is a pediatric cardiologist over at the Children's Hospital and we're talking about all different kind of topics in pediatric cardiology. We talked about murmurs before the break and we're going to talk about common causes of chest pain and abnormal heart rhythms and congenital heart lesions and anything you may have questions about or maybe you want to share some of your experiences uh, if your child or grandchild had a pediatric, required a pediatric cardiologist. We would love to hear from you. So give us a call at one mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, Or you can send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. So we talked a little bit before the break about a heart murmur and how a lot of these are innocent. But there are a few sometimes that have to be fixed. They're related to an actual heart lesion. And so uh, we talked about the echocardiogram or the ECHO for short, and that's how we would diagnose if there was a heart lesion, if there was a problem with the heart valve or a hole in the heart wall. Um, and some of those do end up having to be fixed. So what kind of procedures do you do to fix those heart lesions and when would you need that?
0: Um, it, it's variable dependent on what the problem is. Uh, it, it is important to mention that most of these are going to be benign but when your doctor's worried about it and they want an echocardiogram uh, that's still that's still all parents are going to worry but it's usually not a real serious problem uh, the majority of the echoes that we do for murmurs are normal so even if your doctor does order additional testing there's still a good chance that there's going to be nothing wrong at all But as you said, the most common problems that we're going to see are holes in the heart. And that's not a hole outside the heart where blood can leave the heart. The heart has four rooms or chambers within it, and those chambers are divided by walls. And we have holes in the walls where there's a communication between a chamber that's not supposed to be there. And luckily, some of those holes can be closed with little uh, alloy devices in a cath lab. We have two specialists that do that. Others will require surgical closure. But... The, the defects that we find on murmur screening echoes are usually the simplest of defects, holes that require closure, and you can have an excellent outcome, you know, 99% plus survival from your procedure and then grow into old adulthood and have a normal life. You will be followed by a heart specialist uh, at first very frequently and then annually until adulthood.
1: All right. And a lot of those holes in the heart, uh, they close up on their own a lot of times. Y'all don't always fix them.
0: That's true. Everybody's born with one hole in their heart and one hole between the two major blood vessels that leave the heart. And those, the majority of the time, close down in the first few weeks of life. Persistence of those uh, can cause a murmur and require a procedure. Um, holes, hole, bet- A hole between the pumping chambers is the most common heart defect. Mm-hmm. That's called a ventricular septal defect or a VSD. And we have excellent results with closing those. The majority of those are still closed with surgery. However, some of them can be dealt with in the cath lab.
1: Right. And the the ASD or the atrial septal defect, a lot of times people, you don't always hear a murmur and people can, I can't remember exactly what the number is in adults, but it's like 25% of adults are walking around with those and don't realize it.
0: If there's a tiny little hole at the top of the heart, that's that's a remnant or it's left over from what we call fetal circulation. It mm-hmm. was necessary for the blood to go around properly when the fetus was in the mom. 20 to 25 percent of people will have that hole in their heart for the remainder of their life, mm-hmm. and it's completely benign. It only becomes a problem if you're older and have blood clots mm-hmm. and strokes. Uh, there, there's There's some controversial literature about Uh, migraine headaches and that hole in the heart and some centers have closed those holes to try to improve uh, headaches in patients with migraine Uh, but for the most part that tiny hole that 20 to 25 percent of babies are left with is benign yeah and then if it's bigger uh it will it will cause a murmur and show up so you don't have to worry about having one if you have one uh, look around you and if there are five people in the room somebody else may have Have one one Yeah. yeah
1: So we're talking today with Dr. Jared Knudsen. He is a pediatric cardiologist. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. So give us a call at one mpb ring That's one 672 7464 So another common question that I get is chest pain because kids have a lot of vague complaints, and sometimes it's hard for them to really express what they're feeling. Um, And so chest pain tends to be a common thing that I hear in children. But I mean, 90 something percent of the time, it's not related to the heart. Um, And so a lot of it is you got to know what to look for associated with the chest pain, what kind of pain it is, how often they're complaining about it, any associated symptoms. So can you tell everybody out there, what would be concerning symptoms associated with chest pain?
0: Um, chest pain during exertion. That, that's really the most concerning, concerning story that we hear. Chest pain is really not a heart problem in children. And you know pediatric cardiologists will talk about it chest pain is is the problem that they deal with that is least likely to be the heart and they have to they have to talk to parents and and figure things out in the musculoskeletal system the gastrointestinal system um, you know sometimes it can be related to trauma or injury it can be left over from a cold where the lining of the lung is sore so there are, there are many causes of chest pain in children and they are usually not related to the heart in fact uh, Children, uh, let's say children are born with a normal heart and then they go on to develop heart failure. They don't have chest pain like adults do because the reason they have heart failure is different. They they are much more likely to present with abdominal pain, nausea, and vomiting. That's much that's a much more common uh, constellation of symptoms related to a heart problem. Chest pain is not very common in children with heart disease. Right. It's really not. Um, it, it can be concerning the if 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 your child is running playing complaining of chest pain during exercise that's a little bit more concerning but most of the time that's going to be a problem with the lungs Mm -hmm. it's going to be what we call exercise induced asthma that's going to be much more common than a heart problem uh, limiting them with exercise
1: yeah one way I always tell parents too is if it stops their activity so because a lot of times kids will say, oh, my stomach hurts or my head hurts or my chest hurts. But they'll just keep on, keep on playing. Running.
0: That's right. <laughs> you
1: know, it doesn't actually stop their activity. It's just kind of, like I said, a vague complaint. And kids just sometimes have a hard time expressing what they're feeling. Um, you know, but, sh- yes. But if it actually makes them stop, if they, instead of going outside and playing with their friends like they normally would do, and they come inside and want to lay on the couch, like that's a little concerning.
0: Sure. Whether it's shortness of breath or chest pain. Right. Yeah, and it's it's during exercise, uh, passing out with exercise is, is a big one too. Uh, that definitely needs to be worked up by a heart specialist. Some kids that pass out with exercise are not going to have a major problem, but uh, it it's common enough to have a problem when that happens to you that you should be worked up. Um, chest pain at rest. A lot of children will be sitting on the couch watching TV or or, or doing something sedentary and complain of sharp chest pain. That's that's benign. Uh, that's called precordial catch. Usually happens in kids that are mm, five or six years of old to ten or twelve in that range. Um, we don't know exactly what causes it. It could be related to nerve irritation in the chest wall, kind of like a, a problem called pleurisy. And what pleurisy is 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 irritation or inflammation of the lining around the lungs. And you usually have that after a cough and cold. Mm-hmm. Um, musculoskeletal injuries just pulling a muscle between the ribs can cause pretty significant chest pain or pulling a muscle and irritating the cartilage that connects your uh, ribs to your sternum that can cause a lot of pain too so and it's uh, an easy trick that I've even told moms that they can use at home if your child says my chest hurts right here and points to a specific spot if you push on that spot and it hurts and then you let go and the pain goes away that is almost always related to bone, muscle, or tendon, ligament, mm-hmm. not related to the heart or the lungs at all.
1: Right, right. I I try to tell that trick you to, to <laughs> parents to take a look at that and um, and it also when I'm examining the children when they're in my clinic and we're talking about the chest pain, if you can push on it and reproduce it, that's always reassuring. So
0: yeah, when you have a cold, if a child has cold or flu symptoms and is having chest pain with breathing, that does require some sort of evaluation. Uh, a common problem that we see is that that 's usually associated with colds and more often it comes after the cold mm-hmm. is something called pericarditis, and that we have a lining around our heart, a sac that the heart lives in it kind of isolates the heart from the other organs in the chest, and when you get a cold your immune system can cause that lining around your heart to become irritated and it can cause pretty significant pain. And sometimes children can get a fluid collection around their heart, which can be a little bit dangerous. Mm -hmm. So, you know, chest pain that is timed around a cold or flu, uh, that's worse with breathing, worse with different positions. Maybe it's better when you're lying down, worse when you're leaning forward. Those, those, those type of, uh, complaints need a little bit of evaluation and usually a chest x-ray and an ekg is about all we need
1: right we're talking today with dr Knudsen about pediatric cardiology we would love to hear from you so give us a call and share some questions or comments that you may have One eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four one eight seven seven 672 7464 mpb ring so um we talked a lot musculoskeletal is probably one of the most common complaints that I feel like that we get uh, just because kids are growing so much Mm -hmm. and they're so active and so a lot of times musculoskeletal you may have heard the term costochondritis that's another term that we'll use a lot uh, to talk about as a reason for children to have chest pain and that's more just irritation like Dr. Knudsen was saying or with the cartilage um, and the ribs and chest wall um GI stuff is another big reason. So reflux is a common reason, and I'm sure a lot of our adult listeners out there have experienced it themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see a lot of that as reasons for people to go to the ER when they think they're having chest pain, but really it's just awful reflux. And kids can have those symptoms too. So right. um, a lot of times they'll complain about pain in the area that we call the epigastric region, which is just up at the very top part of their stomach and abdomen. And so it kind of blends in with the chest. And so it can be a little confusing, Uh, but that's how you can kind of tell too. And a lot of times it's related to eating. It'll be worse at nighttime after they've eaten a big supper and they lay down. And so those are some things to look for. Asthma, as you talked about, the lungs is another common reason and so if they're also getting short of breath and a lot of times i feel like kids with asthma describe it more as my chest feels tight Mm -hmm. not necessarily that my chest hurts they'll say my chest feels tight and so that could be asthma is always a potential thing as well
0: and all all of those conditions if you're pediatrician if you have costochondritis we have good medicines like Mm -hmm. motrin that can help that we have good reflux medicines zantac prevacet others um So if you, or if it's exercise induced asthma or asthma, we have medicines for asthma too. So if you have chest pain or chest tightness or chest burning or chest stabbing, whatever the complaint is, and your pediatrician has a really strong hunch about what it is and they give you a treatment and it goes away, then you can pretty much rest assured that you're not
1: dealing with a heart Heart, problem. Right. Um, Anxiety is another thing, especially in our teenagers. Uh, that we'll see kids complaining about chest tightness and uh, pain. And a lot of times it's related to mood disorders, anxiety in particular. Um, so that's something else to think about, too. If, if you've kind of ruled out a lot of the other stuff, talk to your child about what's going on and are they some, experiencing some anxiety because a lot of times we see that with, with panic attacks.
0: Yeah, and, you know, thin children can feel their own heart beating in their chest sometimes. Mm-hmm. That may just be the normal heartbeat. It may be a fast heartbeat. And if you have an anxious child, that sensation can just precipitate more anxiety. And so oftentimes just some reassurance is is what you need more than anything.
1: A few things to make sure, though, if your child has ever experienced, like has a past medical history. So like if they have a history of a congenital heart lesion um it would be important to make sure that you get that checked out if your child's complaining if if you see a
0: cardiologist on a regular basis and your child's having chest pain you should go in and see your cardiologist for sure and you know Mm -hmm. other disease processes too um you know patients uh children that have uh what we call end-stage renal disease, or bad kidney failure requiring dialysis, are at much higher risk of heart disease. So if, you're, if your child receives dialysis or they have significant kidney disease and chest pain, that might be a little bit more serious. If they take medicines for a rheumatologic condition like lupus, for example, uh, chest pain can be uh, much more serious. It can be because of a dangerous fluid collection around the heart. Um, it can be because of the heart muscle not getting enough oxygen, just like in adults that have heart attacks. Uh, If your child has had a disease called Kawasaki disease in the past, that means that their coronary arteries, the arteries that feed the heart muscle, may be abnormal, and they are at risk of having heart attacks. So certain conditions, you certainly need to be uh, concerned about. If your child has had chemotherapy uh, for cancer, even if they're completely cured, some of the chemotherapy drugs can have toxic effects on the heart that don't show up for many months or a few years. Mm -hmm. So that's another important population to consider. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we're talking today with Dr. Knudsen. He is a pediatric cardiologist at the Children's Hospital. We're going to take another quick break, but we would love to hear from you. So if you have any questions for us or maybe some comments, experiences that you've had with your children or grandchildren, we would love to hear from you. So give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464.
0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
1: This is Southern Remedy Kids and Teens and MPB Think Radio. Today, we have Dr. Jared Knudsen in with us. He is a pediatric cardiologist over at the Children's Hospital, and we're talking about different topics in pediatric cardiology. We've talked a lot about murmurs and chest pain and when to be concerned, and we'll get into a few other topics. We would love to hear from you, so give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 672 7464 or you can also send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. We had a caller during the break that uh, called and asked about subaortic stenosis um, and if we could elaborate on that a little bit, which is usually a congenital heart lesion that children are born with. And-
0: yeah, we can. Um, just like everything else in medicine, uh, uh, there are multiple varieties of this disease. Uh, subaortic stenosis comes in different flavors, and so you can be born with subaortic stenosis and have a hole in your heart uh, you can develop subaortic stenosis because of something we call hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, or you can develop subaortic stenosis because of growth of what we call a subaortic membrane. So that's a lot of medical terminology. So let's break it down. So subaortic stenosis, uh, what it is, it's blockage below the aortic valve. And so the aorta is a large candy cane-shaped vessel that comes off of our heart, and that's the v- blood vessel that delivers blood with oxygen in it to the entire body. There's a valve called the aortic valve that opens when the heart squeezes so that blood can be ejected into that large blood vessel and then it closes when the heart relaxes. Subaortic stenosis is where you have either connective tissue or muscle underneath that valve that blocks it where blood cannot make it through the valve. So it's essentially like if you had a large chair sitting over a trap door on the floor. When the trap door opens, you can't really fall through the trap door if the chair is on top of it. Well, with subaortic stenosis, when the aortic valve opens, there's blockage and the blood can't get through. The most dangerous form of subaortic stenosis is what we call hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy and that's one of the three most common causes of sudden death in teen athletes and um, so you know it's very important that children have good thorough sports physicals before they're cleared to play contact sports because usually a good history and a good physical exam will prompt further testing and make that diagnosis before somebody participates in sports that are dangerous Mm -hmm. um the the congenital variety with a hole in the heart requires corrective surgeries. Um, it's definitely less common. And then some kids develop a membrane under the aortic valve that can cause blockage over time. And there, there are some specialists that will blow up a balloon and tear that membrane in the cath lab to relieve the blockage. Uh, but we can definitely have our surgeons resect those membranes or cut them out if they become a problem. Yeah. So in a nutshell, those are the three common varieties of subaortic stenosis. I'm not sure which one the caller was interested in, but those are them.
1: Okay. So we're talking today with Dr. Jared Knudsen. He is a pediatric cardiologist. So we're talking different topics in pediatric cardiology. We would love to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. So we talked a lot about murmurs and chest pain. Another common complaint that I see in the clinic is palpitations or feeling like your heart's racing. And one of the concerns as a physician that we worry about is your heart going into an abnormal rhythm. Um, Not very common in kids for it to go into an abnormal rhythm, but that's definitely something that we want to make sure we don't miss. So we were going to talk a little bit about when to be concerned, because a lot of times you've probably experienced this as well, your heart feeling like it's racing. And we'll get into a little bit about why we feel that way. And so it can be, as Dr. Knudson mentioned earlier, a very distressing symptom because it kind of freaks you out a little bit when you feel that and then that stresses you out that you're feeling that and then that just makes the symptoms worse so it's kind of a vicious cycle um so let's talk a little bit about when parents should be concerned when their child feels like they tell them that they feel like their heart is racing
0: yeah the everybody's heart races when they exercise and so some parents will tell you you know my five-year-old was running around in the backyard with his friends and he, he came up his cheeks were flushed he was sweating and he said you know My chest feels funny, and they put their hand on his chest, and his heart's going really, really fast. And so sometimes it's helpful to remind people that the younger we are, the faster our heart goes. We all learned in health class in high school that the maximum heart rate is 220 minus your age. Well, and what you do is you sit there and you say, okay, I'm 17 years old, so I can get my heart rate up to 203. What we forget is if you're a newborn, your heart can go 220, 230 times a minute. And so resting heart rates are higher In younger kids and then their heart rates during exercise are higher and it's it's not uncommon for kids with thin chest wall to be able to feel the sensation of their heart beating quite easily Um, if you have if you have that sensation at rest it can be because your heart's going too fast or because your heart is skipping a beat so to speak most commonly when kids complain of this what they have are benign skipped beats Uh, they're called PVCs, which stands for premature ventricular contraction, or they may be having PACs, which are very common in children that, that, that stands for premature atrial contraction. Just means that part of the heart muscle decides that it wants to beat early. And then there's a delay before the next beat, your heart fills up with a little bit more blood than usual. And it gives you this weird sense of fullness in your chest. Some people will describe it as a glob of something in their throat Mm -hmm. and it can feel pretty distressing. And uh, the most, those are the most common causes of palpitations, those benign early beats, as we call them. Simple testing can pick those up. Um, children can wear a monitor for 24 hours. That's called a Holter monitor. And if they have those symptoms while they're wearing the monitor, then the cardiologist can look at, real, at EKG tracings during that time period and tell whether it was just a benign early beat or if it was something more serious.
1: Yeah. Because there's a little button when you wear the Holter monitor that you can push when you're having the symptoms.
0: Right. And, and we also ask people sometimes to keep what we call a symptom diary. Mm-hmm. So if you're having symptoms at a certain hour, you write down the time and what you were feeling. And that way we can pay very careful attention to the, to the tracings that correspond with that time.
1: Right. And PVCs can happen at any age. Um, we see them in kids and adults and teenagers. But uh, teenagers and adults, I feel like, probably are usually the ones that complain about it more than anything because we kind of make it worse <laughs> with yeah. some of the activities that we do. So there's a few things that can tend to make those a little bit worse. Can you tell us about that?
0: Yeah, in our teenagers, they, they, they like to do a number of things that make these worse. Uh, they like to not sleep as much as they should. They like to not eat as much as they should. They like to become dehydrated by drinking too much caffeine and not enough water. Caffeine definitely can precipitate or make PVCs worse. Now, everybody has PVCs. If we do a twenty-four hour heart monitor on all of us, we will have some. Uh, it's it's normal to have you know several several per hour. When 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 they cause discomfort, that's when you can get into trouble because it can be anxiety provoking, as Doctor McLeod told us. Um, but staying away from excessive caffeine, uh, staying away from energy drinks is, you know, I, I typically recommend that for teenagers. Uh, you know, a lot of teens drink coffee, and I think that's I think that's okay. But you have to be careful when you buy a can at a gas station and it's got 300 milligrams of caffeine per serving. You know, that can that can be dangerous, yeah. especially if you if you have frequent uh, PVCs to begin with.
1: All right, and lack of sleep. Like you mentioned, that's another big one that we can't stress enough to all our kids, our teens, our adults, everybody.
0: Yeah, the uh, the complaints about eye twitches and muscle twitches and uh, racing heart, a lot of those things would go away if kids would sleep more and drink less caffeine.
1: Right. So a lot of times, um, when kids do come in and complain about this, or adults too as well, uh, we can get an EKG in the clinic, but it may not show anything, because an EKG is just a picture in time. Um, so unless you have some kind of underlying abnormality, most of the times we're not going to catch the if there is a potential heart. Arrhythmia or abnormal heart rhythm. We're not going to catch that just on an EKG because it's just kind of a screenshot in time, and so that's why we have to do those holter monitors. I would say that's probably the most common. There's there's a few more advanced cardiac monitors that you can do, um, but that you could wear longer for time periods. But holter monitor is the most common thing,
0: right? It's, and it's important. You know, we we've spent a lot of time today talking about things that are benign and not serious, but you know, I, I always tell parents, you know, advocate for your children strongly. If they're complaining about something and we can't find anything wrong, sometimes we need to dig a little further, especially when it comes to these symptoms of palpitations or racing heartbeat. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen a stone cold normal EKG in a normal Holter monitor, and it's not until we give a family what we call an event monitor where they can keep it for a month. And then, oh, when they have symptoms, they can place it over their chest and it'll, it'll record an EKG. The problem that Dr. McLeod's alluding to is you put the EKG on. If there's no symptoms at the time of the EKG, it's going to be normal. It's not going to show any problems. And so sometimes just you know, hypervigilance about trying to capture an EKG tracing during the symptoms is what's required. And so I've seen a lot of kids that are ultimately diagnosed with uh, what we call an arrhythmia, a true arrhythmia only after multiple EKGs and a few Holter monitors. So an EKG, like Dr. McLeod said, is a snapshot, just a few seconds in time. A Holter monitor is usually 24 or 48 hours of EKG tracings continuously around the clock. And then an event monitor can be kept for weeks to months. And when you have symptoms, place it over your chest and it, it will record an EKG real time.
1: Yeah. And again, all of this, like kind of like the echocardiogram that we talked about earlier, they're all very non-invasive. And it's something that easily your primary doctor can get you set up for. I order Holter monitors fairly often um, and echoes as well. So a lot of times your primary doctor can get all of this ordered for you before you even have to go see a specialist. Um, But definitely like Dr. Knudsen said, be be an advocate for your child. And if there is something that you're concerned about and you would, like to see the cardiac specialist um you know and have more tests done please feel free to make sure you talk to your doctor about that so we'll take one more quick break um, and then when we come back we'll talk a little bit about some of the stuff that they are doing at the children's hospital taking care of our patients with congenital heart lesions but we would love to hear from you if you have any questions give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one 672 7464 This is Southern Remedy, Kids and Teens, on MPB Think Radio. We've been talking today about pediatric cardiology with Dr. Jared Knudsen. We have a few minutes left, so if you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. So we've talked a lot about different things to look for if your child complains about chest pain or if your child complains about their heart racing um, and what to kind of think if your doctor talks to you about a murmur. Um, And so if you have any questions, we would love to hear from you. We would answer those questions for you. You can send us an email. Let's get into a little bit about the congenital heart lesions because you talked about that a little bit um, earlier with the different defects that children can be born with in their heart. And I feel like that's one question parents always get is how did this happen? So is this, you know, we talked about how common it is. Is Do we know a reason why some of these happen?
0: Uh, we do, and we're, we're learning more and more every day about the genetics of congenital heart disease. So the bottom line is there is a set of genes that's responsible for coming on and providing the programming for normal development of the heart in the first trimester. Uh, the problem is we don't really understand what all those genes are and how they work. Uh, There are certainly heart defects that are strongly associated with some genetic syndromes. And so we do know if you have a mutation or a problem with a certain gene that gives you a syndrome, you're likely to have X heart defect. There are groups of heart diseases that run in families. Um, The most simple congenital heart disease is called bicuspid aortic valve our aortic valve that trap door that leads from the heart to the blood vessel that carries blood to the body it's supposed to have uh, it's supposed to have three parts to it if it only has two parts that's called a bicuspid valve most people that have that go to their grave with it and never know it but on that spectrum of disease there can be other problems with the left side of the heart all the way to the extreme where the left side doesn't develop, and that's called hypoplastic left heart syndrome. And we know that that runs in families. And recently we've discovered some, uh, some deletions in genes, and that means some of the genes gone that are associated with, with hypoplastic left heart syndrome. So those problems with the left side of the heart run in families. Some genetic syndromes have known heart defects that uh, are associated with them. But a lot of children with heart defects, have normal genetic testing. Mm -hmm. So if we send, you know, pretty extensive genetic testing, it will be normal. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not a genetic problem. What it means is that our testing is not sophisticated or sensitive enough to pick it up. So the bottom line is we don't understand genetics well enough yet.
1: Yeah. And so hopefully with more research, and especially people becoming more aware about congenital heart disease, Uh, I think there's a whole month, I think, dedicated to it now that they try to make awareness for it. Um, And so trying to become more aware of what's going on can lead to further research so that we can hopefully have an answer. But a lot of times, like you said, it's just random, and we don't ever really find a reason for it. And I feel like that's something important to remember, because a lot of times parents put guilt on themselves about everything. And is there something I could have done during my pregnancy to make this not happen? And
0: And, there's not,
1: that's not always the case.
0: No, it's not. And we, we said earlier in the program that 1% of babies are born with a heart defect. If, if, if you're a mother and you have a child with a heart defect, the chance that your second child is going to have a heart defect is 5% when we look at all mothers with babies with heart defects so that's not too bad that's still a 95% chance that your baby's heart is going to be normal now if you have one child with a heart defect uh, we strongly recommend that you have a second pregnancy screened not only by an obstetrician uh, but by a what we call a fetal cardiologist and that's a pediatric cardiologist that specializes in evaluating the heart while the baby's still in the womb and uh, heart defects can be diagnosed during pregnancy so that if you do need a procedure immediately after birth, you can make sure that the baby's born in a facility that can provide all the resources that you need.
1: Yeah, especially those critical heart lesions. A lot of those are picked up in utero when the obstetrician is just doing the regular fetal ultrasound.
0: That's right, Um, and then there are risk factors that will, uh, that will, cause a referral to a fetal cardiologist. You know, if, if you have diabetes during your pregnancy, um, you should be screened for a heart defect. If you've had a child in the past with a heart defect, like we mentioned uh, earlier, and there are other risk factors too that obstetricians will refer you for a, a higher level ultrasound, as we call it, you know, a more extensive ultrasound or even to a pediatric cardiologist to do a careful evaluation of the heart
1: yeah.
0: on the baby in utero or while the baby's in the, in the womb.
1: So real quickly, while we have a few minutes left, tell us a little bit about, we've talked about the survivorship into adulthood and how far we have come in our advances of medicine and our children with congenital heart lesions living into adulthood. Can you tell us a little bit about what y'all are doing over at the Children's Hospital with the Pediatric Cardiology Program?
0: Uh, Yeah, we are. We have an active Children's Heart Center. Um, The rebuilding process started, I think, it was about nine years ago. Uh, we had a new heart surgeon that came and started operating and achieved uh, good results for us and uh, that that created a slurry of hirings and recruitment we have pediatric cardiologists critical care specialists anesthesiologists that specialize in sedating kids with heart disease and we have two very talented congenital heart surgeons and uh, when when I started seven years ago, there were three or four people in the ICU. Now we have 10 docs and 10 nurse practitioners. Uh, there were four or five cardiologists. Now we're up to mid-teens when you count the people that we have on the coast and up north in Tupelo. Uh, we have two anesthesiologists that are dedicated to taking care of kids with heart disease. And and all of these all these wonderful people that we have on the team trained at very, very good centers, large centers around the country, Uh, We have several people from the top five training centers and heart centers in the country, Texas Children's in Houston, Boston Children's, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and we have others that trained at Dallas Children's, uh, Wash U in St. Louis. So very good programs uh, that have excellent results in taking care of kids with heart disease. So we have a a multidisciplinary team that represents uh, multiple great institutions around the country. And I'll tell parents... If your child needs heart surgery or a cath procedure or needs uh, ICU level care for their heart disease, they're gonna be discussed in a conference room with all of us there. So you get a second, third, fourth, up to 10th opinion from 10 (laughs) big children's hospitals around the country when uh, we take care of your child. And so we're really fortunate to have the team that we have.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And um, y'all stay busy. We were talking about that today. We do. yeah, how many heart surgeries did you say y'all performed this summer probably? I well, don't know how
0: well. I don't know how many exactly this summer, but the schedule was very full. Not a day went by in June, July, early August that we didn't have heart surgery scheduled. The ICU was busy. I were doing a little over two hundred what we call pump cases a year and those are cases where a heart lung machine is required and then multiple cath procedures. Lots of echoes. Very, very busy.
1: Very busy, yes. So we appreciate all y'all's hard work that you do, and we appreciate you coming on today.
0: Absolutely. And I didn't mention the new tower, the new critical care tower going up. Well, You know, all, all of the Children's Heart Center will be housed in the new building, ICU, operating rooms, cardiology clinics, cath labs, everything. So we're very excited about that.
1: Yeah, and that'll be open next fall.
0: Construction is slated to be finished August 2020, and we're told we'll be moving patients in October.
1: Oh, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So not too far away.
0: 355,000 square foot of space dedicated to children's health care. It's super exciting.
1: And it's been cool to watch too for me to see all the changes and you too, because uh, you've been here as it's been growing too. Right. And so it's just, it's awesome to see. Um, so thank you so much again for coming on. We You're appreciate thank that. Thank you for having me. If y'all have any questions out there that maybe we didn't get to, we would love to hear from you. So just shoot us an email at kids at mpbonline.org. This has been Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. It's a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and Think Radio, and it's funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod. Join us next Thursday at 11 for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens, and stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.